As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. My name is Ashley, and I am planning my own unconventional budget micro-wedding in the middle of a pandemic. If you don't feel represented in mainstream wedding media, if you haven't been dreaming about your wedding day since you were six years old, and if you don't want to have an Instagram wedding, then you are in the right place. Welcome back to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. I apologize if my voice sounds a bit strange. I'm nursing a bit of a sore throat over here. Um, Hopefully it's nothing major as at the time of recording, I'm about a little less than two weeks out from my wedding. So hopefully this isn't a sign of some lingering sickness, Um, just something quick I'm able to get over before wedding day. But apologies if things sound a bit weird um, and I'll probably be taking more breaks. So you might hear um, a little like break in the audio just to sip my tea. Um, Could I have just waited until this sore throat passed to record this episode? Of course, but uh, I was really excited about this topic. So I wanted to jump back in. So today's episode is 10 more wedding traditions you can skip. So this is a follow-up to last week's episode. If you missed it, uh, part one, go back, listen to that one. I believe it comes out September 29th was last week. um, And then today is October something. (laughs) Um, And this is all based on a list from BuzzFeed called 23 things people really, really want you to stop doing at your wedding. So I'm going through the list letting you know what those things are, and letting you know my thoughts on them. So diving back in, this is the 14th thing. And it says, I'm not a big fan of designating the bride's side and the groom's side during the ceremony. And I totally agree. I think it's really nice to mix and match. I don't think people are as traditional about this anymore. Um, You know, you might see some older relatives who are still like, oh, no, the left is always the I don't even know which side is which, but <laughs> I'm sure there is one side that is traditionally for the bride and a traditionally for the groom. Um, but I think it's a more of a thing now. People are sitting wherever they want. I think it's actually like it's become such a thing that people are allowed to sit wherever they want that those signs that say like, um, you know, choose a seat, not a side. We're both family after the knot is tied or whatever it is, like those cute little 
uh, signs that people put up at their ceremony, those signs are like passe. Like those are even like, that's very 2016. Um, that's how like not a thing this is anymore. So I totally agree. You should be able to sit wherever you want. Um, if you have ushers, which again are a little bit passe, they can let people know like, hey, yeah, grab a seat wherever you want, no problem. Um, and it's actually better, like if you are doing the whole bride side, groom side, it's actually better for the bride side to sit across from where the bride is standing and the groom side to sit across as opposed to on the exact same side, because then you actually get to see their face, right? So if the bride is on the left, the groom is on the right. If all of the bride's family goes to sit on the right side, I hope I have that correct, <laughs> they can actually see her face because she's standing on the left, but she's looking to the right. So I think it actually makes sense to swap the sides if you want to do sides at all. Um, but I am so here for the mix and match. I think that's a great idea. Funny enough, we're actually not doing a mix and match for our wedding, which is very strange because I totally support this idea. Um, for us, we just, we only have uh, 20, 20 something guests, I think 20, 22. Um, so we're, and we have very small rows, like I think three or four people per row. Um, so it was just going to be a little bit awkward to do the mix and match because we would inevitably be telling people like, oh, don't sit next to your husband or your, you know, your sibling, please go sit over there with a person you've never met before. Um, so we're, yeah, we're actually keeping all of the, uh, my side, the bride side on one side, all of the groom side on the other side. And we're actually assigning seats for the ceremony just because again, we have such a small number, only 20 people, only four rows, only three seats per row. Um, and we really want it to be very specific of like, okay, obviously we, you know, we want the parents in the front row, then we want the siblings. And then after that we figured, okay, we might as well just assign them all since there's only like five seats left. Um, but unless you are having a very small wedding with very small rows, I don't think you need to bother designating a bride side and a groom side for your ceremony. Next one, number 15, bridesmaids having the exact same dress. I don't mind the same color, but not the same style. Not everyone has the same body type and may not feel comfortable in certain lengths or styles. And this I totally, totally agree with. Um, just to back it up even more, I'm sure I've ranted about this before. I think the entire idea of, you know, the, the best way we can honor our friends is to ask them to shell out like $1,500 on our wedding to pay for an outfit and shoes and jewelry and hair and makeup and hotels and air planes and gifts and all these things um, is kind of wild. Like that's a weird concept that automatically, you know, by being someone's really good friend, being asked to be in a wedding party, you have to shell out all this money. And it's even weirder that we force them to purchase an, a, you know, a dress in this case for bridesmaids um, or an outfit that they will never wear again that costs, you know, hundreds of dollars and that we force them all to wear the exact same one. And I get it. Like there's, you know, that nice solidarity. You do feel special walking around the wedding in the bridesmaid's dress, you know, I've, I've been a bridesmaid, it's a fun feeling, you know, to feel part of that inner circle. But the whole concept is just very strange. Like, why do we, why do we think that's a cool thing? Like, you know, I've never, I don't buy myself $300 dresses regularly in my normal life, even if, you know, a dress I could wear multiple times. I think my favorite dress in my closet maybe cost $30. <laughs> Um, and yet for a friend's wedding, I was shelling out, you know, 300 some dollars for the dress, then a couple hundred on alterations and shoes and hair, then makeup and hotels and airfare and gifts. And it's just, it's kind of wild. Um, the whole wedding party thing is just, a, I think we really need to look at that tradition because there's a lot wrong with it that doesn't really fit the ethos of, Hey, I love this person so much. And I want to honor them by giving them a place in my special day by asking them to spend a ton of money. <laughs> Um, but back to the actual complaint here of having all the bridesmaids in the exact same dress. I totally agree. I think it is, it's a passe thing. I think, again, most modern 
uh, weddings, people are doing more of the mix and match with either colors or with styles. And I think it's just nice because inevitably all of your bridesmaids are not going to be the exact same size. And it's really awkward. You know, I've been the person who is like the odd one out. Like I am six inches taller than everyone or, you know, 50 pounds heavier than everyone else in this in this bridal or in this wedding party. Um, I'm the one who can't afford the the dress. And it's it's really uncomfortable to be that person. Um, and you might have a wedding party that's made up of lots of those people, you know, lots of different shapes and sizes, different wallets, different comfort levels, you know, maybe someone is happy with a plunging neckline, someone else prefers turtlenecks, long sleeves, short sleeves, whatever it is. I don't like that we First of all, we're forcing our friends to buy outfits they'll never wear again, spending hundreds of dollars on it, but then not even letting them choose something that they are comfortable in. Um, I think it's super difficult. And even, you know, as the most accommodating uh, couple in saying like, oh, just let me know if you don't like it. Like that's a lot harder to do versus just, hey, I would love you all to wear black. Please go out and find your favorite black dress. Like that gives so much more freedom to your party to put things on that they actually like that they, you know, would want to wear again. So that is my whole <laughs> speech about bridesmaids, dresses, wedding party outfits. I think they should get a lot more say in what it is since they are spending so much money on their outfit. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Number 16 is unity candles. They get blown out anyway, so what is this really representing? I kind of disagree with this one. I don't think we have to retire unity candles, and it's not that I'm a huge unity candle stan. I just don't care. <laughs> um, if you are big into the unity candle, you think that's like a really beautiful symbolic thing you want to do. Maybe it's something, if you're getting married at a church, maybe it's something that everyone does at the church, then go for it. I think it is really nice. All of those unity um, traditions or, you know, elements that people incorporate into their ceremony. I've seen ones where people like will mix two jars of sand or they'll both um, put paint on the same canvas. They'll both, you know, they'll mix a shot and they'll take it. They'll pour wine into the same glass. They'll plant a tree, whatever it is. None of those things actually last forever, just like most marriages don't last forever. Um, even the rings, you know, that you'll exchange that are supposed to be this lasting symbol of your love, like those can tarnish, those can get lost, those can break, those can stop fitting, whatever it is. So I don't think unity necessarily means has to last forever. And if that's what you're going for, then sure, the candle's probably not the best idea because of course it's going to get blown out or if it doesn't, it's just going to, you know, melt until it's gone. Um, but if unity to you means more like bringing together two people, two families, which is, I believe the definition of unity, right? Coming together as one, then I definitely think that the candle is a great option. And I love the idea of, um, you know, I think some people will have like someone from one partner side, someone from the other partner side, like bring up the two candles and then it's the couple who like actually lights the candle or something like that. There's some cute way that you can involve more people from your families. So it's a, it's an oldie, but a goodie. Um, if you are here for the unity candles, go for it. Don't worry about the fact that they will of course get blown out or melt because that is what candles do has nothing to do with your marriage. All right, number 17. I don't like the utter entitlement that some brides have that it's their day and that everyone should bow down to their every instruction and request, no matter how ludicrous. I completely agree. 
Um, I hate the rhetoric that it is the bride's day. You know, it's the best day of her life. The groom just has to show up. Um, she gets to be quote unquote bridezilla, which is a whole another topic about how the wedding industry kind of forces this all. Actually, you know what? Let's dive into that. So I hate that, you know, it is made out to be the bride's day. The groom is sort of forgotten about, but I also feel like that is sort of like a beast of, of the wedding industry's making, right? Like we can say like, Oh, why are brides like such bridezillas? And like, Oh my gosh, like they're just ordering everyone around and they're acting absolutely crazy and you know they they barely remember that the groom is part of this blah 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 and then it's like okay well how did they get here we've got a wedding industry that's telling them their day has to be completely perfect we have all of the vendors in this industry all of the marketing all of the ads directed at the bride um you know it's very rare that uh things are directed at both members of the couple or the groom um again this is obviously in a cis hetero Uh, relationship here. So we're putting all of this pressure on the bride to have this amazing day and letting her know that, hey, basically you have to plan this and you're lucky if your groom helps out a little bit. Um, All he has to do is show up. And then we're getting mad at them for being quote unquote bridezillas and, you know, having all these crazy requests and feeling entitled. And I get it. It's, you know, that's obviously not a bride you want to deal with. But um, I think it's very much if the if people don't want this, then we need to do some work on the inside of the industry, letting couples know that, hey, this is a day for both of you. You should both be just as involved in planning this. Like I see so much in the face. I always talk about these <laughs> Facebook groups, these wedding planning Facebook groups. So often people will say, oh, my, you know, my fiance is not helping at all. He's not doing anything. He just tells me to do whatever I want. I've I've talked about this before. I've done a few episodes on like, yes, the groom should be planning the wedding as well. It is his wedding. doesn't matter if he doesn't want to. If he wants to get married, then this is what he has to do. Like if he wants to have a wedding, then he has to help out. It's um, kind of ridiculous that we think that the woman has to do it just because that's how women have been raised for the bride to take on everything. I totally disagree with that. So as much as possible, I think the day needs to be about both of you. And it's about your guests too, right? Like if you have guests attending like you of course want to make sure that they are comfortable and fed and entertained and happy and all of that so I totally understand where this pressure comes from but it's obviously not something we want it's not you know you don't want the bride to feel this sense of entitlement and going quote-unquote bridezilla so I think this is an issue that really needs to be worked on from the inside and then hopefully that would translate to less entitlement and less um, antics from brides if that pressure is off and if it really does feel like it's both of their day. Okay, number 18, sending a gift even if you don't attend. Like, where's my birthday gift for every party you missed and didn't give me anything for? So this is one that I agree and I disagree with. So of course, in theory, you shouldn't have to send a gift. And I think any couple who is expecting gifts, like that's not the mindset you want to go into this with. Um, That being said, when I attend a wedding, I always give a gift. Like I can't imagine... Um, you know, not giving a gift. And if it's a wedding that I don't attend, then it sort of depends on my relationship to the person. So obviously, if it's a very close friend or family member, I'm still sending a gift. I'm probably not sending as big a gift as if I had actually attended. There is that whole theory of like your gift should pay for your plate. So if the cost is like, you know, $125 per person, 
um, you should give a gift that's equal to that cost. And you're kind of just approximating that based on the venue, based on what you know about the wedding, the decor, um, if you know what kind of food they're serving, that sort of thing. Um, that is one school of thought that you'll pay for your plate. So of course, if you are not attending, there's not a plate for you. So you don't really have to cover your plate. But I think it is nice to send something. So I think, yeah, I think this is one where like, if you are the person giving the gift, you probably think, oh, of course, I should send something. And then if you're the person receiving, um, I really don't think you want to have that expectation because a lot of people, you know, can't afford to give gifts or um, they, they just don't want to, which I think is totally valid. Um, it's, you know, a cultural thing. Maybe they don't give gifts if they don't attend weddings in their um, culture or whatever. So yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I will say that I think the majority of people who gives, give gifts either do it because that's just the expected thing no problem. Or because they genuinely want to wish the couple well in their marriage and they want to help them out with, you know, a new toaster, um, something for their marital home, or just contribute towards, you know, their honeymoon or something like that. They want to send well wishes and they do that through a gift. Um, I think that can be achieved just as nicely with a really like heartfelt card or a little like DIY thing, a cute little gift card to get coffee. It doesn't have to be a big extravagant gift or a ton of money. Um, and oftentimes, if you're not able to attend, it's actually cheaper to send a gift. So for example, let's say to attend this wedding, you'd have to take time off work, you'd have to book a hotel, you'd have to get a rental car, you'd have to fly, then you'd have to give a bigger gift because you know, you're covering your plate, you'd have to buy a new outfit, maybe you want to get your hair and makeup done, oh, your shoes don't fit, you got to buy new shoes, oh, you're going to the rehearsal dinner, got to buy an outfit for that. Um, it really starts to add up if you are attending as a guest, and you maybe feel the pressure to give a larger gift because you're attending in person. Whereas if you're not attending, and all you have to do is send a gift and you're okay sending a smaller gift, that's obviously a lot cheaper for you. I'm not saying you should attend or not attend weddings based on how much it'll cost you, but that is the reality, right? Like it does have a price tag and sometimes you have to say no to weddings because it is just going to cost too much. And honestly, it's cheaper just to send a gift. <laughs> okay. Number 19. The father, daughter, and mother, son dances for sure. They feel misogynistic and patriarchal to me. So this one I totally agree with, and I'm sure I've ranted about this on past episodes. Um, I, I love the idea of having special moments with your parents, um, but I do think this is a bit of an old-fashioned thing. Again, a lot of couples are getting married, you know, later and later um, in situations where they already live with each other or at least live outside of the house. So it doesn't really make sense to have, like, in my example, you know, I moved away from my um, the town where or the city where I grew up at 18 to attend school on the other side of the country. I haven't lived with my parents for over 10 years. Um, I live on the other side of the country from my dad and I see him maybe once or twice a year. So it's kind of strange that him and I would have a dance as like, a, oh, you know, it's our last time as father and daughter and then I'm sending you off. It's like, no, 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 he sent me off 10 years ago. <laughs> like, like, it's a little bit weird. And then there's my mom who I, you know, do, do live in the same city as and I see every week. And why don't we have a moment together? So I totally think this is a tradition you can question. And I get it. It's a sweet moment. If you want to still have these dances, amazing. But go ahead and question it and change the tradition so that it fits you better. Um, you could have just like a generic parent loved ones dance. And it could be you, your spouse, and all of your parents, especially, I think this works really well if you have like blended families. So for example, you know, I have my mom, my dad, my stepmom, and then my partner just has his mom as his dad passed away. So that's three moms and a dad, which sounds like a horrible 80s movie. 
Um, yeah, so it's three moms and a dad plus the two of us. So even if we were trying to do father, daughter, mother, son dances, um, a lot of people would be left out or my partner would have to dance with three moms while I just dance with my dad. So I think it would be way cooler to have all of us on the dance floor at one time and playing, you know, a song that's really fun for all of us or a song that's kind of meaningful and just all dancing together. It doesn't have to be a slow dance or it could be a slow dance and we kind of switch up partners throughout whatever it is. Uh, I think there's a lot of room there to make the parent-child dances your own. They do not have to be strict father-daughter, mother-son especially if you do have blended families or strained relationships with any of your parents. Um, I also think you don't have to do a dance. Like I, a lot of people will say like, oh, you know, my mom's like so scared to stand up in front of everyone or my dad's really not a dancer or, you know, whatever it is, or I'm not a dancer. I think you can have other meaningful moments. So whether it is, you know, walking you down the aisle, maybe your parents walk you down the aisle or they give a toast or maybe they play I don't know, the banjo, maybe they're, they want to do that. Maybe they want to give a prayer. Maybe they want to just, you know, you want to have a moment where you exchange cards or something like that. It doesn't have to be a dance if that's not something that you and your parents are into. Next, we've got number 20. I hate the pressure that comes with trying to make a wedding absolutely perfect. Just having the people you love and some nice affordable decor is really all you need. I totally agree with this one in the sense that there's really no need to try to make your wedding perfect because it's it's not going to happen. <laughs> and you end up getting caught up in a lot of things that don't matter. I sort of disagree that all you need is the people you love and some affordable decor. I don't know that affordable decor is like the, the second thing you need. <laughs> I would say some people you love and maybe like some food or <laughs> the vows or something like that, someone to make it legal. Um, I think decor is one of the things you can definitely let go of if you're trying to, you know, keep things on budget or just get rid of some extras. But it's so easy to fall into these traps of trying to make your wedding perfect and worrying about every last little detail. There is a ton of pressure. You know, I've already talked about the wedding industry really um, pushing itself, especially on brides, to have this perfect day. Oh, it's going to be the best day of your life. It's your one special day. You got to do everything right. And you find yourself totally stressing over little things that don't matter, that didn't matter to you before you started wedding planning. Um, you, you know, you go over budget, you lose a lot of energy and sleep, and you just are stressing and relationships get strained. And it's just, it's not a great time. And it happens a lot. Um, you know, people go into dark holes on Pinterest. I have been there, um, start obsessing about things. Like, for example, my partner and I spent probably like half an hour putting together an elevator list, which is the list of groups that will come up in the elevator to our rooftop ceremony, like the order they'll come up, who will be in each elevator, instead of just saying like, okay, come on up, like jump in the elevator. <laughs> and it's a little bit different for us because, um, you know, we are getting married at COVID time. So obviously we don't want a ton of people to be stuffed in an elevator. The elevators where we're getting married, also you need a key. Um, so it can't just be like a free for all, everyone come up because we don't have keys for everybody. And we are trying to bring people up in the order that they're going to sit at the ceremony, just so it's easier for people to find their seat without a ton of back and forth. So there was reason to it. But we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, Oh, my gosh, did we just spend half an hour coming up with a list of how people will come up in the elevator to our ceremony? Like what a ridiculous thing to get <laughs> to get in the weeds about. So I totally understand how this happens. And I definitely agree. Um, trying to remove that pressure to make your wedding day perfect is, is something we should be doing. 
Number 21, open bars need to go. I feel like a bottle of wine at the table or one or two drink tickets is good enough. So I disagree. I don't think open bars need to go. I think a lot of people love the idea of an open bar. You know, there's a joke that that's like the whole point of the wedding. Is there an open bar? If not, don't even bother. Um, what are we, are we, for the wedding that we're going to, um, well, at the time of recording this weekend, uh, it's been postponed a few times, but the for the first version of this wedding, the save the date um, just said, what did it say? It said like, get drunk or like drinks on us or come drink or something like that. So they were obviously pushing the open bar as sort of like the funny um, incentive to come to their wedding. So I totally see it. And I think if you can afford it, it's a really nice thing to offer to your guests, especially, you know, people are traveling to your wedding, they're buying new outfits, they're buying you gifts. It's really nice to say like, of course, you know, bars on us, go for it. You can do a more limited bar. You don't have to have like all the different um, liquors. You don't definitely don't have to have any like top shelf stuff. You could totally do an open bar that's just like wine, um, you know, beer and, and a few like a vodka and a tequila or something like that. Um, it's up to you. Of course, if you can't afford it, that's fine. I don't think an open bar is mandatory. It is totally fine to just have, um, you know, wine and beer on the table or do drink tickets or do a cash bar, whatever it is. The only caveat is you need to let people know. So if it's any situation where people either are not going to be able to drink, like if you're having a dry wedding, or people are going to have to purchase drinks, and it's like a legitimate cash bar where they actually have to have cash. Um, even if it's one where they can bring a credit card, just let people know ahead of time, because it's, you know, people got to be prepared. So we went to a wedding a few years ago that had a toonie bar. And, um, you know, they legitimately wanted you to pay with toonies. Of course, you could use larger bills if you're buying a few drinks, that sort of thing. But most people don't carry cash on them these days. And most people definitely don't carry coins. And apologies to my American American listeners, a toonie is a $2 coin in Canada. Um, you must think <laughs> that sounds so ridiculous. I promise it's real money. We use it. Um, but especially in COVID days, most people are not carrying cash on them. So if you are having a cash bar, make sure to let your guests know. All right, coming in to the end here with two more. Number 22, having the bride's family pay for everything. I totally agree. We definitely need to retire this. I've done lots of episodes on money, um, especially on, you know, parents and money, family and money. I did one called how to talk to your parents about money, which I think is a really good listen. Um, and I also did one on why you should pay for your own wedding, which I also think is a good listen, even if you're thinking like, okay, why would we do that? Why would we turn down tens of thousands of dollars? I think it, um, not, not that I, it will convince you to turn down that money, but I think it gives you some good reasons why you might want to pay for it yourself and some things to think about. But 100%, the bride's family should not be paying for everything. I think that's a very outdated tradition. And I understand in some cultures, that's still something that is done. Um, however, you know, in most places um, in where I am, Canada and the US and the UK, which is most of my listeners, so probably where you are, this is not really a thing. And I think it's kind of silly. Um, if people are still holding on to this one, there's just there's just no reason why only one family would pay for it. Obviously, uh, costs should be, you know, split between both families and the couple. In fact, I think it should be the couple um, that should pay for it. And if their families want to contribute, that's great. But there shouldn't be any, um, what's the word, not responsibility, but there shouldn't be any, uh, it shouldn't be any pressure, I guess, on either family to have to pay and certainly not on one family to pay for everything. Okay, last but not least, the last thing is nothing needs to be retired. The two people getting married should be free to follow whatever traditions they want to or no traditions at all. So this is sort of like a 
you know, a little funny gotcha as the last thing to be retired is nothing needs to be retired. Um, but of course, I totally agree. Your wedding is your wedding. It's about the two of you. You should be able to do whatever you want, um, regardless of everything I've said in this episode and the last one, whether you agree or disagree with all of these things that people um, think you should skip or should retire. It is totally up to you. If you want to do them all, amazing. If you want to do none of them, amazing. Pick and choose. There's really no right way to have a wedding. It's just, you know, it's your wedding. And as long as you get married um, at the end of it, you've totally done your job. So there is no need to stress about, oh my God, I can't figure out a father-daughter song that perfectly encapsulates my relationship with my father, who I haven't seen in 10 years without upsetting my stepfather. And my partner doesn't have, you know, their mom's not in the picture anymore. So what song do we choose? Okay, just cut it. Like, that's obviously not a tradition that is going to work for your situation that means something to you. So go ahead and cut it. So I think this, the point of this episode and the last one is not so much to, um, to force you to skip any of these things or force you to include them, but really just to question a lot of these traditions and see if they work for you and if they're things that you find meaningful. And with that, I will bid you happy wedding planning. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. I really appreciate it, and I hope you found the episode helpful. If you really want to make my day, you can leave me a rating and a review, follow along so you don't miss the next episode, and tell a friend about the show. Remember, you shouldn't be spending your wedding day managing other people's feelings.